Welcome to the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast. We don't shy away and keep secrets here. We empower you with education, telling you the truth about all things aesthetic medicine while encouraging you to be the best version of yourself. It's time to look great and feel good doing it. This is your host, mom, speaker, and board-certified physician, Dr. Judith Borger. Hello, friends. This is Dr. Borger, and welcome to episode 13 of the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about cosmetic gynecology. Yes, friends, we're going to cover it all. And if you have never heard of cosmetic gynecology, if you've had questions about cosmetic gynecology, if you've always wanted to hear the inside scoop on what cosmetic gynecology can do in the most commonly performed procedures, this episode is for you. Our special guest and expert is my colleague and friend, Dr. Amy Brenner from Mason, Ohio. She is a board-certified OB-GYN with extensive specialty training in the field of cosmetic gynecology. She does aesthetic medicine. She does integrative medicine and... She also is a fellow podcast host. Her podcast is called Healthy Her, and she addresses all sorts of health topics that might be of interest to women, especially. So today we have a cosmetic gynecologist, Dr. Brennan, like I said in the intro, that is so exciting. And, you know, I think the first question that you always get asked, and for all of my listeners, like, what is a cosmetic gynecologist and what kind of stuff do you guys do? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. So this has become a really popular topic. And if you've studied trends in aesthetics, you know that really all aesthetic procedures have kind of gone like kind of crazy with COVID, but cosmetic gynecology procedures have even really skyrocketed. And I think some of that's due to just social media. People are seeing more porn these days. Maybe some of the movies that have been out there in general, people are just more comfortable talking about sex. Um, uh, Shaving kind of in the pubic area, those trends have certainly changed. Um, And also just, I think there's been even some TV shows called like designer vagina and things like that. So cosmetic, surgeries, um, along with other aesthetic procedures are becoming really popular. But back to your question is um, cosmetic GYN surgery is just a broad term that encompasses a lot of different surgeries. So that would include surgeries such as labiaplasty minora, uh, labiaplasty for the majora, vaginoplasty, which is a tight surgery to tighten the vagina, Hymenoplasty, which is typically done in certain cultures to kind of rebuild that hymenal tissue in cultures where they um, expect the the bride to be a virgin. Um, uh, Some non-invasive surgeries, such as putting filler actually to puff up the labia, putting PRP into the um, genital area. And then lastly, um, clitoral hood reduction. So those are some, all of those kind of fall in the realm of cosmetic GYN procedures. 
So how did you personally get interested in cosmetic gynecology and what is the kind of training like? I know you're board certified gynecologist. So of course, that's a big commitment. That's a lot of training right there. But just tell me a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I've been a um, OBGYN now for over 20 years and practiced traditional OBGYN for 11 years until I moved into this practice and started doing aesthetics about 11 years ago. And we started by just doing things with PRP, like the O-Shot and a CO2 laser for vaginal dryness. And we have an RF device for uh, non-surgical vaginal tightening. And certainly as a gynecologist, I've always done things like, um, obviously with childbirth, you can have labial tears. So repairing labia, either from childbirth tears or um, trauma, straddle injuries, things like that. And also doing prolapse like rectocele. So it was kind of like that, but I was never trained formally as most gynecologists aren't to do aesthetic procedures of the vagina. And I got to be honest, I was reluctant to do it because to be good at something, it, it requires a lot of, a lot of training. It's not something where you just simply go to a weekend courses. Um, the fellowship that I did like actually costs more than my daughter's first year at university of Tennessee next year. So, wow. Um, and congratulations so- <laughs> to her going to college. <laughs> well, thank you. So the training is, was actually very expensive. Um, the equipment was very expensive and And to be honest, I live here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I thought, you know, most of the people that were doing these surgeries were in California, Miami, York. And I thought, like, do women in the Midwest really want to do this? Or is this going to be something I learn and I'm not going to be able to use my skills? And so I debated about doing it for a really long time. And then I just decided, you know, I'm just really interested in this. I really like doing aesthetics for the face. And so it, it really made sense to me as a gynecologist who also does aesthetics that it would make sense in our practice. And actually women, I realized like women are women. So whether they live in Miami or LA or the middle of nowhere, Ohio, many women are, are very concerned about what it looks like down there. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. And especially that you are bringing it at such a high level of training to a patient population that probably some women in your town before knowing about you probably do think, oh, they have to travel all this way and they can't find somebody highly trained. Um, Talking about the patients like what is sort of like a classic story that you hear? And I just love the fact that you're really empowering women, you know, not to only be comfortable with how they look, but really to enhance their confidence in the bedroom, maybe in the dating world to really let them feel all the pleasure that they want to feel. So it is really next level empowerment. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that these kinds of surgeries in the past have kind of gotten a bad rap. ACOG or the American College of OBGYN, and I think it was in 2007, uh, you know, put out kind of a document that was really like, why would you do this? And why are doctors doing this? And and really kind of poo-pooed women seeking this kind of treatment. But the way I look at it is 
no different than women who are opting to have their the size or shape of their nose altered, the size or shape of their breast altered, possibly, you know, a, a large panis on their abdomen. They might be seeking abdominoplasty. And so a lot of women are very uncomfortable and actually self-conscious of the way it looks down there. Um, and so most of the patients that I've been treating, that I treat with, we'll just pick, pick out labiaplasty because that's the most common uh, surgery for aesthetics is most women have been bothered with the way it looks since adolescence. And so uh, they've come into young adulthood, have a job, um, have the finances and, and decide that this is something they want to take care of. And so for a lot of people, it's not just about making it look better, but it's really life-changing of what it's done to their self ex- self-esteem. Yeah. So seeing that you mentioned labioplasty, can you just give my listeners a little bit of an overview for those people who don't know what a labioplasty is, like what it is and, you know, what are some of the reasons that people seek that out? Yeah. So when women come to me in my practice, the first thing I like to do is give a high level overview of what the anatomy is, because a lot of women actually don't understand the anatomy. So the outside lips um, or the bigger lips are your labia majora. Those can actually, um, as with really every area in our body, kind of get lax, um, have some wrinkles in them, become deflated. And it's typically usually with age. Um, the most common surgery on the external genitalia is a labiaplasty minora. And those are the inner lips, the thinner lips. I used to say they're the smaller lips, but sometimes people get that that doesn't go over well because a lot of women who are seeking this procedure, their inner labia are actually bigger than their labia majora. So calling them the smaller inner lips is, is not actually accurate, but they're the ones that are more medial or on the inside. So that's um, you, the most common external one is um, making the labia minora smaller. And so the biggest reason why women choose to do this is, quite frankly, is they're not liking the way it looks. Um, and that's why this is a procedure that is not covered by insurance. Otherwise, sometimes women say that um, the large labia can kind of get in the way of sexual intercourse. Um, they don't like the way it looks in a bathing suit. In fact, I have a lot of um, patients that say because of the extra bulge that it cause, causes down there with the extra tissue is that women will wear a couple pairs of underwear if they're wearing um, kind of like Lululemon pants or wear a double bikini bottom to kind of hold everything in um, or it gets uncomfortable with exercise. But because this is really not a medically necessary procedure, but more of a cosmetic procedure. It's typically done because of the cosmetic appearance of it. You just did a wonderful job describing that, especially without a little anatomy thing, which I think (laughs) in your office, you probably have and point to it. Um, you know, when we talk about this procedure and, um, you know, just to reiterate what I heard you say is that almost the excess tissue that people are self-conscious of is removed. Are you doing that in an OR within your office? Do you have them go to a hospital OR? Is it an in-office procedure? What's the downtime like? Yeah. So great question. And where I trained is we 
learned how to do this actually in our office. And so the benefits of doing this is it just makes it a lot um, logistically easier for a patient to have a procedure in our office. Um, they don't have to not eat anything, eat anything like after midnight. We actually encourage people to eat breakfast. Um, and uh, as well as expense wise. So going to the operating room for a cosmetic procedure, um, it, it's actually been a couple years since I actually checked the prices, but the prices for the OR have just become astronomical. So it usually is going to add on several thousand dollars to the cost of the procedure by doing these procedures in the operating room. So we do them in our office under um, local anesthesia. And we have a great pain protocol with some topical numbing cream, some inhaled nitrous oxide. Most patients actually choose to take our oral cocktail for oral sedation. Although every now and then I'll have a patient who wants to drive themselves home and feels like they have a high pain tolerance and doesn't have um, much anxiety. And so every once in a while I will do it without um, our oral cocktail of oral sedation and just do it with um, uh, topical and the nitrous oxide. Wow. So it's just like an afternoon in the office. Yeah. And how so, long, nothing per vagina for how long after? Like, what's the downtime? Do they have to take so, off time off work? So I usually tell people with a labiaplasty to plan on two weeks off of work or off of life. Although in reality, most people are going back to living their life after a week. But every now and then I'll just have somebody who just gets excessively swollen um, and they need to take off two weeks. So I'd rather have somebody be pleasantly surprised and go back after a week, which is, which is typical, than be like, oh no, I was supposed to travel for work next week and what am I gonna do? So most people it's a week off of work, but I like to kind of plan for the, the worst and usually it works out with, it's just a week. but. Typically nothing in the vagina, no tight, tight jeans, horseback riding, lunging, um, intercourse for about six weeks. Usually you can go back to like light hand weights and walking. After so sort of like after a childbirth sounds Pretty like much. very similar. Mm -hmm. So now with now, a vaginal plastic, it's going to be a little bit more. So than that, that was my next question. So sort of like stepping from the outside in vaginal plasty, obviously um, involving now the interior structure, the inside of the vagina. Can you describe briefly what that involves? So a vaginal plasty is meant to tighten the vagina. And so many women um, typically after multiple childbirths have um, noticed significant vaginal laxity and decreased sensation either the, by their, on their own or their partner may notice um, some vaginal laxity. And so um, it, it can cause this genital mismatch. Um, and so sex can be less satisfying. And so a vaginoplasty is meant to tighten the vagina. Uh, it can also fix a gaping vagina. If you're looking at somebody in the uh, lithotomy position, kind of the position you're in for a pap smear, and if I can see into their vagina, um, that's called a vaginal gaping. And so a vaginoplasty can help correct that look. Um, 
And so a vaginoplasty is just a little bit more involved of a surgery than labiaplasty. So in that case, I do usually put a catheter in their bladder for a couple days. It tends to be a little bit more uncomfortable. So our post-procedure kind of cocktail of medications includes a nerve pill, a muscle relaxant, some pain medications. And that's going to take about 10 to 12 weeks before somebody's sexually active again. And is that done in your office again, or is that done in the OR? So I do that procedure in my office as well. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Um, Now, um, does that help with any um, urinary kind of stress incontinence too, or is that a totally separate procedure for patients who have both of those after childbirth? Yeah. So with a vaginoplasty, I'm going along that back wall of the vagina and opening up the back wall of the vagina and then bringing the muscles together and then getting rid of the excess skin of the vagina. So it doesn't do anything for incontinence. So um, that's a whole other topic. Yes, it is a huge topic because obviously for those of you who are not in medicine, kind of the bladder sits on the opposite end. It kind of more sits on the front and up top. Um, you know, so I guess we already talked about recovery. You know, we talked about these big two um, procedures you mentioned, um, insurance. And then I guess... Um, If somebody is interested and they're like, wow, you know, I really have had these insecurities. I don't didn't even know this was an option. And I'm sure there's this whole like secondary almost market where women are starting maybe post-divorce or post, you know, the childbirth years starting to really think about themselves and their own sexual pleasure and their own lifestyle. Um, So how would they go about finding a cosmetic gynecologist? Well, I think... As with anything, choosing the right person to do this is is very important. I know that um, some gynecologists, um, because we think is gyne- we might think as gynecologists, like that's our body part, that's our area of the body. So sure, if you want a labiaplasty, like I'll just you know kind of trim it off. Um, it, it is more involved than that. Um, certainly, that there's. Just, know, kind of trimming it off is going to get rid of the excess tissue. But that's the biggest kind of risk of this procedure is not being satisfied with a cosmetic result. Typically, what I see is um, there are other doctors taking too much off, not making a tapered kind of end to where the clitoris or where the labia meet the clitoris at the frenulum as well as not addressing the clitoral hood. And if you don't address the clitoral hood and take too much off of the labia, it can look a little top heavy, almost like a, like a micro penis. And so nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. (laughs) Well, I mean, some people might want anything, but no, I think most women probably don't go for that look. Yeah. So um, that's the biggest reason why I do revisions is because people have gone to somebody that doesn't have extensive tra- um, training outside of residency in cosmetic gynecology. Maybe they just went to a doctor. Of, yeah, I do this. And maybe they do it a couple times a year, but it's just not something that that surgeon specializes in. So I think finding somebody that has advanced training is, is really important. Yeah. I mean, we, it's a recurrent 
theme on my podcast, how important it is to really find somebody with a lot of training, somebody you connect with versus, you know, and again, all of these procedures are definitely not the place to price shop, not the place to get a bargain. That's how stuff is going to go wrong. So, um, yeah. And you were so kind in letting us know really how extensive your training was. So that's, that's a real eye opener, I'm sure for a lot of people as to how it isn't just something that you do on the side. Um, so that is really amazing. Now, one of the sort of hesitations I've read about, seen or heard is that women may be afraid to have a procedure done down there or in their general region because they're afraid that they're going to lose sensation. Do you, can you kind of confirm that or bust that myth? Yeah. Um, I think that's a really common question and, Quite honestly, physiologically, it doesn't make sense that that's going to happen because the nerves come up, come up from deep and then come up like this. So when we're taking off the tissue, we're just taking off kind of almost like getting a little haircut. You're just trimming off the edges. And so in the short run, you know, because you might be trimming off the nerves there, you're, you're going to have some decreased sensation in the healing process. But Knock on wood, I've never had that as a complication. And physiologically, it doesn't make sense to me that that would be a long-term complication because it's pretty impossible to injure the nerve roots, which are deep in the pelvis. I think that's a really great kind of reassurance for everybody. Again, everything, you know, nothing is with guaranteed, but you're absolutely right. When you know your anatomy, when you know where the nerve comes from, it doesn't come from the outside in, you know, so it, it, like you said, it should make absolutely no sense, but it's something that I've kind of seen and heard about a lot. So I was hoping you could address that and thank you. So one of the, um, so you also do facial aesthetics, um, you know, you have a, you really kind of do like the whole top down kind of um, thing, face, um, you know, general area. Do you do any body contouring? What else do you do? Just, just those no, two. We do non-invasive body contouring with cool sculpt and evolve radio frequency, but we do not do surgical Surgery. body contouring. Okay. So one of the questions that I've asked a lot of my guests um, is like, what is your favorite, most favorite out of all the procedures that you do to perform? Like, what is the one that you could do all day long? And it's your favorite. I would say, I mean, that's tough. I'll have to give you my top three. Okay. So I would say, you know, labiaplasty, which is usually 95% of the time combined with a clitoral hood reduction is my absolute favorite because um, it's it's just so satisfying. For, so for me, I love doing surgery. I still love doing hysterectomies and taking ovaries out and doing traditional GYN surgery. So I just, I love doing surgery. So this allows me to still do surgery, but also do aesthetics in one. And, it, and so not only is it, it, it fulfills my need, and like I said, from a patient standpoint is it's, it's a little different than putting filler in somebody's face. We're like, oh yeah, I'm happy. It's for this kinds of procedures, like women have been like sometimes psychologically like have trauma and PTSD of what past partners have said to them. So it's, it's more than just aesthetics. It's sometimes really helping somebody's self-esteem. So so that's probably my favorite thing to do. 
this is a whole other side topic, but I also love treating lichen sclerosis is that can be just life changing for people. Um, and let's see, last but not least, um, I would say I love doing hormone therapy because that also is life changing for a lot of people. I love how much of an advocate you really are for like women's complete health. It sounds like, and the more we talk, the more I learn about all the things you specialize in. So your patients are definitely so lucky to have you. Oh, um, thanks. What is your favorite procedure to get a little bit of a spill the tea here? Oh gosh. Uh, well, I will be honest. I am not a good patient. Like I have the lowest pain tolerance and like, do not like needles, but I would say, you, you know, you just got to love Botox. It's, I agree. It's I agree. immediate. <laughs> it gives it's the best bang for the buck. So I guess maybe because we're having a staff Botox day tomorrow, it's high on my mind, but minimal discomfort, higher reward. Yes. And, but I'm sure the fact that you feel that way as a patient probably makes you so good at being empathetic and treating your patient's pain. Um, you know, when I had surgery for the first time, like I, it definitely makes me think differently about what it feels like to be a patient having surgery. So I think all of that stuff really just kind of adds to our experience and how we relate. Yeah. How about you? What's your favorite? You know, seeing that I don't do all the things that you do, um, my favorite is to do lip filler. I just love the art of it and the fact that it's immediate and, you know, everybody likes a good lip filler. Um, and and the same with um, Botox. I mean, I feel like my face without Botox is not as good as my face with Botox. Yeah. So <laughs> if I could only pick one, it would definitely be Botox. But thank you for asking. So I love that you shared your expertise with us. Thank you so much. Um, like I said in my intro back then, Dr. Brenner really does so many things. Um, so why don't you tell people a little bit how they can find you, tell them about your podcast where you discuss great health topics, because um, oh. I'm sure some of my listeners are interested. Well, thank you. Um, certainly, I have, you can find me lots of different ways. My website is dramybrenner.com. I can be found on Facebook at Amy Brenner MD and Associates, also on Instagram, and we have a podcast called Healthy Her. Yes, it's a wonderful podcast. Please check it out. Um, we will obviously put all of the information in the show notes for everybody to find. And again, thank you so much for your expertise and spending the time to explain um, cosmetic gynecology to us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast with Dr. Judith Borger. We'd love to connect with you outside of the show. Follow Dr. Borger on Instagram at Dr. Borger and find more online and ways to work with Dr. Borger at www.theaestheticdoctor.com. Until next time, be well.